Years ago, a man hired an experienced guide to lead him on a hike into the Swiss Alps. After some hours of climbing, they came to a high mountain pass. To the man's dismay, he saw that the path had almost been washed away. What could he do? On the left was a sheer rock cliff. To his right, a precarious drop, nearly 1,000 feet. Looking down, he felt his head growing faint, and his knees began to buckle. At that moment, his guide shouted, Don't look down, or you'll be a dead man. Keep your eyes on me, and where I put my feet, put yours there as well. The man did as he was told, and soon passed out of danger and into safety. That is good advice for the beginning of a new year, isn't it? No one knows what lies ahead for any of us. We all have plans, we have dreams, but we know as times come and seasons come in our lives, our life is in God's hands. A little boy and his mother were crossing a river. The mother said, please hold my hand. The boy said, no, mom, you hold my hand. The mother says, what's the difference? The boy said, well, there's a big difference. If I hold your hand and something happens to me, chances are I'm going to let go of your hand. But... If you hold my hand, I know for sure that no matter what happens, you will never let my hand go. That is what we'd like to look at in our thoughts this morning. Sooner or later, we'll find ourselves in a place where the way ahead will seem almost impossible. And when that happens, we will panic, and many times we fail or fall. Or we can fix our eyes on Jesus, and mark carefully his steps before us. If we follow him, we'll find the end of this year that we have been kept safe, and we have been in his amazing grace. Someone once wrote, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor, selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes, especially during this time, when we about to make New Year's resolutions. Now, we might be early enough into the new year that we haven't made our resolutions yet, but it seems like a custom in our society to make New Year's resolutions. I tell myself, this year I'm going to exercise regularly and I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do all kinds of things to improve myself physically and spiritually. But then somehow, in the near future, I forget. Hmm. Maybe you have that problem also. 
So I have a suggestion for each and every one of us this year, and that is my sermon this morning. We'd like to make a New Year's resolution that we ought to be able to remember and work together with throughout the year. It's kind of a broad and very general statement, but here it is. Let's promise ourselves and to God that we will make a change for the better. In 2023, as God's people, let's make this one simple resolution that we're going to make a change for the better. And to make us or help us do that, let me suggest some ways this morning that we can do that and make a change for the better. First of all, each of us can make a change for the better by developing a better attitude toward life. By the way, when I create these, I'm definitely looking at myself. This is all a message for me this morning with you as an audience listening in. And I hope that you can apply these thoughts to you also. Ask yourself each morning whether the way you plan to spend your day is how you would spend it if it was the last day of your life. I came across that. Because today could be the last day of our lives. There was that song, you know, um, no, of course, I can't remember now. Um, um, you know, I, I went bull riding and, you know, and all that stuff and all the things that he did as if he's living as if it was the last day of his life when he found out that, you know, his life would soon end. And how he lived. He actually lived during that time. Today, may we live as if these are our last moments. I'm told that there was a woman who woke up one morning. She looked in the mirror and noticed that she only had three hairs left on her head. Well, she said, I think I'll braid my hair today. So she did. She had a wonderful day. The next day she woke up and looked in the mirror and saw that she only had two hairs left on her head. Hmm, she said, I think I'll part my hair down the middle today. So she did, and she had a great day. The next day she woke up, looked in the mirror, and yes, she noticed that she only had one hair on her head. Well, she said, today I'm going to wear my hair in a ponytail. So she did, and she had fun that day. The next day she woke up, and as you imagine, she looked and noticed that there wasn't a single hair on her head. Yay, she exclaimed. I don't have to fix my hair today. That story, of course, sounds ridiculous, but it gives us the idea of how do we look at life. How do we look at life? Is it worthwhile? We can come in and we always talk about the optimist versus the pessimist. There are people that we know that will look and no matter what the circumstances are, they look at the bright side. Then there's others that no matter what goes on in life, they will look at the negative and see what's wrong. I'd like to let, change that question. Instead of, is it worthwhile? What would you, do, what would it take for you and I? to feel that our life is worthwhile. What would it take for each of us to feel better about our lives? And that is the reason why our text this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. And I will give a footnote here that I would encourage you if you read, I will be paraphrasing a lot of these verses this morning. So you will be able to read from, I know that some, most of you will read from the King James. Um, some will read American um, Standard Version, whatever. But I know that I will be paraphrasing these thoughts. Before I read it to you, though, 
as you look at Philippians 3, specifically 12, 13, and 14 to start with, I'd like you to realize what's going on in this reading. Paul is in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's living under horrible conditions. Not too long ago, we had the press of a basketball player, a female basketball player here in the United States that was detained in Russia. And they talked about how her she was being sent to a prison camp and they talked about the horrible conditions. Paul is living in horrible conditions at that time. Yet despite that, he writes these words. He says, I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually, nor do I consider myself already perfect. But I keep going on, grasping ever more firmly to that purpose for which Jesus Christ grasped me. My brothers, I do not consider myself to have fully grasped it, even now. But I do consecrate on, uh, concentrate on this, that I leave the past behind, he says. And with hands outstretched to whatever lies ahead, I go straight forward to that goal. I'd like you to ask yourself, what is Paul's goal? He answered it in verses 10 and 11. If we continue in verses 10 and 11, he says, Now I long to know Christ and the power shown by his resurrection. Now I long to share his sufferings, I even to die as he died, so that I may perhaps obtain, as he did, the resurrection from the dead. What is Paul's goal? His goal is the resurrection from the dead. His goal is eternal life with Jesus. That is what he is striving for for each day. His goal was heaven. Now, here is the point. And our goal is our goal is heaven. If our goal is life in heaven, then all these setbacks that we are incurring in our life are stepping stones getting us closer to the time when we, like Paul, will be with Jesus. And then Philippians 4, if I go on to Philippians chapter 4 now, verses 8 and 9, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. There will be trials. There will be disappointments. But every day that passes in our lives is one more day closer to when we will be with Jesus. If that is our goal, then think of Romans 8 and 28. Romans 8 and 28 tells us all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The world says that the way to success or to feel good about yourselves is probably by climbing the ladder of success, maybe by success being by your possessions, the amount of money you make, the things that you own. 
the influential friends that you have being in the right circles of society. Those are the things that we are told make you feel good about yourself. But we know that the Bible teaches that we should feel good about ourselves because God loves us. We are such a treasured person in God's sight that he gave his only begotten son for each and every one of us. He sent his son on the earth to be an example, to teach, to be a way of life, to offer his own blood for the sacrifice for each and every one of us. That makes each and every one of us valuable. You see those commercials where they go through things and they say, priceless. That is a gift that we each have from God and his son that is priceless. He gave his only begotten son for each and every one of us. That makes us valuable. And that makes us feel good about ourselves. That, in my mind, must be what Paul is referring to. Because I don't picture sitting in a dark dungeon, being chained, having no freedom, to that being a good life. But Paul said that he set a goal for himself. Romans 12 and 2. Romans 12, 2 tells us, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then we continue in Romans 15 now, three chapters later. In Romans 15 and verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So this is the attitude that Paul has. When we look, we see that Paul is encouraging these churches. Paul is encouraging the Romans here. Secondly, we find that we are fruitful. We need to be a fruitful part of the family of God, which, of course, is his church. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, he tells Timothy, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. It is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And again, he says to the Christians in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2 and 19, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The Bible does not speak of Christians isolated from you know, from other believers. In God's family, we are connected to every, each and every believer. And Romans 12, 5 says, In Christ, who are many forms one body, and each member belongs to one another, to all of the others. So as Christians, what does the Bible say? We are put together. We are joined together. We are built together. We are heirs together. We are fitted together. We are held together. And also, that we are caught up in the air together. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And to Paul, being a member of the church meant being a part, a vital organ of a living body, the body of Christ. 
So Romans 12, verses 4 and 5 tells us, For we are, have many members in one body, but are the members doing all the same function? We do not, of course, have all these members doing the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Each part, each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. We realize as we go through surgeries, as my wife threw through that shoulder surgery, she realized the importance the arm and the shoulder, and, and I went on, and like I told you, I looked up and watched that. I felt to truly appreciate that to watch that surgery. Not too many people have watched it with me, but, um, but to watch, you know, and how that goes. We think about the importance of the arm connecting and so on. When we think about us, we each being in the body of Christ, we each think about being members of the body. We don't, and we know that, you know, how all your body working together creates that functioning. And that is how we described as Christians, Jesus said. Each of us finds our meaning and our function as an individual part of the body. If an organ is severed from the body, it will shrivel and die. It will be cut off and disconnected from the life of Christ's church. Our spiritual life will wither and eventually cease to exist. That is why the first symptom of spiritual decline is usually inconsistent attendance at worship services or Bible studies or other gatherings of the believers. When we become careless about fellowship, everything else spiritually begins to slide also. And that is the trouble we run into. We know that it is written, a Christian without a church home is like a heart without a body. It is like a sheep without a flock or a child without a family. It is an unnatural state. Membership in the family of God is neither unimportant nor something to be casually ignored. Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not prevail against it. Of course, we know that's Matthew 16 and verse 18. So the person who says, I don't need the church is either ignorant or arrogant. The church itself is so significant that we know Jesus died for it. And we can continue to read in Ephesians 5 and 25, it says, Christ loved the church and he gave his life for it. So do you want to have a better life in 2023? I believe for myself then I need a better attitude and I need to become more active in the church, which Jesus loved and for which he gave his life for. Then we realize too, as Christians, it is not good enough for us just to lift our voices and praise and prayer to God above. And that brings us to our final and third point. We must take advantage of the time that we have. The Bible teaches us that life is uncertain. Time is like a valuable commodity in a very precious and delicate vessel. It might be, you know, it might break at any moment in our lives. We might lose it all 
So we have this moment. I can't tell you if you are like me, how many times impulsively, I guess I would say, or I act, my brain doesn't catch up with my mind first. And how many times I've looked back and thought, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I? And many times you try to back up, but the people that are affected are way too often heard that or, you know, said that or, you know, hear you apologize or whatever. And I know that it goes back to that action speaks louder than words. And so as we start 2023, may we look at ourselves and, and try to minimize those times. I know for myself, I need to stop and really think the impact that others will have. That many times, I guess I think I'm living in a world by myself. I always felt that as a teacher, a middle school teacher. If you're not in middle school, the biggest thing I would say is they think the world evolves around them. And then I thought that for many years, but then I realized, even though I'm 66 years old, you know, am I, and many times in the way I act, am I any different? You know, a lot of times you do things thinking that's the best, but then realize who is really the biggest benefit from it. You know, you were trying to benefit yourself, but you impact so many other people. So for anybody here, you know, in the, the audience, I, I apologize for, you know, that, and I'm going to really work on that, that I need to work at trying to think before I act and really, really focus on that this year. So these are the simple things that I try to look at. Simple in them, in themselves, but I know in my life, complex in carrying it out. But may I have the correct attitude, whether I'm acting with people or with God. May I realize that I need to be more active as in religion, whether it be directly in the services, in Bible study, or daily reading and praying in my life. And that I realize the time that God has given me and all that God has given us. May we live our lives with the attitude and the realization that today could be our last. So we have this moment. We don't know anything about the future, but we have this moment. And that is all that we really know that we have. Because of the uncertainty of life, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and 2, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. In Hebrews 3.15, it tells us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts because life is uncertain. We must take advantage of the time that we have. So as I wrap this up, may, as we look at our New Year's resolution, may we make this commitment that we're going to develop a better attitude toward life, that we're going to be more fruitful and a part of our family to the church, and may we take advantage of the time that we have. May I remind you that we are a year closer to heaven than we were this time last year. Everything is on course, folks. We need to trust the Lord and love him to place our lives in his hands and allow him to use us to his glory. Happy New Year to you and your family. Our hope is not in the new year, 
but in the one who makes all things new. Whatever you needed in this morning, we ask that you respond by coming forward and making your needs known as together we stand and sing our song of invitation. <laughs>